Seinfeld, the pool guy is over, but we are just getting started here on the Seinfeld Post Show Recap, a podcast about nothing. And now, here are the two guys who always leave a buffer seat in the middle for you, the listener. I'm Rob Sistrino. Here's Akiva Winokur. Akiva, how are you? I'm doing great, Rob. Yes. Pumped up? Um, listen, Rob, a podcast divided against itself cannot Yes, we are not killing independent wheels. That's right. That's right. All right. I was going to say that you had ranked the channel number 72 in your top 100 movie list, but uh, that did not include me in it. So I decided to go with the buffer seat. Uh, a channel sounds like it's more of a more of a, uh, you know, a box office hit than a critical darling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, interesting. Yeah, I would love to know the plot of that. I feel like somebody did movie posters uh, for all of these movies, and I feel like I saw that link a couple of years ago. Of yes, I'm sure someone's done like fake movie scripts to every Seinfeld movie. Yeah, movie posters for Seinfeld movies. Yeah, I think they were actually pretty good, and they had uh, they like uh, imagined them. I'm looking at the poster for the Channel, and uh, trying to see. Uh, it's got uh, Daniel Craig, Aaron Eckhart, and uh, Julianne Huff. Or, uh, oh, I'm in- never seeing that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dancing with the Stars, James Bond. Yes. No. Yes. All right. So here we are, Keith, ready to talk about uh, episode number 118, talking about the pool guy, where famously uh, Elaine starts hanging out with Susan, thus uh, putting the life of independent George into jeopardy where worlds are colliding. Also, famously, Kramer ends up getting the phone number of movie phone and uh, much less famously, Jerry ends up making a new friend who works at the pool at the gym. Yeah, we could almost, you know, we like to talk about uh, A story, B story, C story on this podcast sometimes. Clearly, it's it's backwards here. Like, the pool guy is, forget about whether you like it or not, it's clearly the least remembered of all the material, right? That everyone knows the, you know, why don't you tell me the no, you know, the name of the movie you want to see line. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, there's nothing that, any, you know, like people would quote from the pool guy uh, storyline. No, there's really nothing. And uh, the other two storylines, the George, uh, you're killing independent George and the movie phone thing are so super iconic. And the pool guy is just so forgettable. And that's the name of the episode. If this episode was called the world's colliding, the independent George, the movie phone, all those things would make you like we talked about this episode last week. I'm like, what is the pool guy? I, I have no recollection of an episode called the pool guy. Yes, I, I think you're right with the title. The Independent George is like a top 20 episode. If it's called the, the movie phone guy or something movie phone related, it's very memorable. Yeah. Uh, World's Colliding even is better. Like the pool guy, because it, it's the Jerry storyline. So it gets the, the title, but it's the C story. It's not it's the least important and obviously the least funny and interesting story of the three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So we'll talk about all that here today. Keeve, do you have any news items for us before we dive in? Do a cannonball in like Newman. Uh, I'm going to, I'll, so, Ollie, Ollie, Ollie Oxen free. That's the last time anybody said that. <laughs> and by the way, starting your jump 40 feet before the pool, <laughs> an interesting strategy, Newman. I think in terms of news, a bunch of people sent me this, uh, this Seinfeld spec script, I'll call it. Yes. Was uh, one of them Chester? Because I saw him tweeting about it. 
Yeah. So, you know, people have, I, I think Seinfeld, in addition to, you know, some other uh, superlatives, definitely has the most spec scripts written about it of any show ever. Okay. I re- when I was in high school, a friend of mine uh, convinced me that like the fourth to last episode of Seinfeld. So this is in, uh, this is in my freshman year of high school in 19, you know, in, uh, I'd say a couple weeks before the, uh, the Puerto Rican day parade episode. He's like, guess what? My cousin is a writer in Hollywood, which I think he was. And he's like, he submitted an episode to Seinfeld and they're using it. I didn't know enough to like, know that it was ridiculous. And he's like, what's it about? And he said it was called like the fart. Okay. Like, and it was about like someone farted and they didn't know who the whole time or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, I believed him, but obviously, you know, that was not, the, maybe that was scrapped and they, they accidentally threw in like the betrayal at the end or the, or the, uh, or the Puerto Rican day parade episode. But, but, uh, that episode never aired. So I'm assuming he was lying. Okay. Um, but okay. anyway, so, this, so in the long history of Seinfeld spec scripts, uh, I got sent this spec script, which I'm not gonna, I don't really want to plug cause it's so, did you see this at all? I saw Chester tweeting about a Seinfeld spec script that had to do with 9-11. Yeah, so I, it's so racy that I don't want to link to it or, or do anything. But if that sounds like it's up your alley, it's pretty well done. But it's, uh, it's a little racy. Okay. Um, and who did it? Just like some guy? A writer, a guy who's like a Weekend Update writer or something. It's, it really nails the voices of the character, but it goes uh, further than, you know, than uh, you, you would think. It's pretty insane. Okay. All right. Well... Heave, we uh, don't need to spend a lot of time going over the uh, Mets transactions at the baseball uh, trade deadline uh, like we did last year. Yeah, I think it's uh, pretty low news, and I'm not sure anybody's anybody's listening to this for our <laughs> Mets opinions. <laughs> yeah. All right, so then let's just jump right into the episode and talk about... Now, this is very dated anytime Jerry starts talking about the phone, right? Yeah, every, every week I, I think to myself, this is the most dated... <laughs> stand up and then the next week like as we get closer in time to where we are now somehow becomes even more dated yeah so jerry says he wants to know when tic-tac-toe became the pound sign and why is that on the phone and then uh he says they why don't they say leave your numeric message now and press archie's head why is the pound sign archie's head i guess that's how they would draw archie's head like it's very crude drawing if you Read the old Archie comics. Jughead's head also is like cartoonish shape with a crown on top of it. Yeah. Um, but that joke doesn't stand up. Obviously, the pound sign is called hashtag now. Uh, this tweet, this whole set, he should really redo a few of these stand up bits for syndication. <laughs> yeah, they should refilm them. Just a, just a stand up. The yeah. show stands up. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at a picture of Archie. It does look as though he has sort of like a pound sign on the side of his head. That's sort yeah. of like how they did the, the, the boy. Also, if they got black eyes in Archie, it was a pound sign on their eye, I think. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then also he says, and what's with the redial button? <laughs> it sounds like it's a harassment button. Why, you ha- why do people redial? Uh, yeah, I don't even remember a redial button, but I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with the concept. I think it was good if you were like trying to call radio stations. If you were like, all right, oh, yeah, be the seventeenth caller. It was it was to call Casey Kasem. <laughs> yeah, it was to win tickets on Z100. A hundred percent. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> all right. So we start off this episode, and Jerry and George are debating who would win in a fight between Jerry and George, and uh, both of them think it is obvious who would win the fight. Uh, eventually elaine comes in and she says that george would win the fight 
because uh, it would be a, a dirty fight that George would win. Uh, and he says that he would pull hair, poke eyes, do groin stuff, whatever he wants to do. Keeve, who would win in a fight between us? Um, I think uh, at least one uh, emailer wrote that in, but I, I for sure you. I, my really, days are see, over. I would, I would say that for sure you would win. This is the opposite uh, of Jerry and George. To quote, uh, to paraphrase one of the uh, two presidential candidates, I feel like I'm very low energy right You're now. You're low energy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I feel like I would, I would just stand there and take it. I don't even have the strength right now to to fight you. <laughs> I, what was the last time you got in a fight? My last fight was in like sixth or seventh grade. Yeah, I've never been in like an actual fist fight, uh, like other than like fighting with like uh, my siblings. I've never been in an actual. In school, you never got into a fight? No, no. I, I got wow. into like, um, I, I threw a snowball at somebody once, but no, no, never a physical. Um, wow. I, I do feel like that you're, I, I feel, I sense that you're stronger than me, even though we've never met, but I'm also very weak. Um, but I do, you know, that maybe I might get mad enough about something i don't know maybe i don't get i probably wouldn't get mad enough and and I, I just wouldn't care like i i don't think i could get into a fight at this point yeah all right well that's something to think about it maybe like uh, something will come up in the next uh you know 72 episodes or whatever that would turn to fisticuffs <laughs> yeah okay let me get on a plane <laughs> all right so Elaine comes in and uh, she wants to know if the guys want to go to the historical clothing exhibition. Now, uh, this episode of Seinfeld, which aired on November 16th, 1995, uh, written by David Mandel. I definitely feel like this was an episode where this is very, to me, uh, emblematic of uh, men that don't know what women are going to talk about. Yeah, I, I see that. There's a lot in this episode that seems a little bit outside the typical canon, like some of the scenes, like the pool scene. Uh, I think I do think that the Elaine and you know, a lot of times we say that we should have been the common sense correspondents in the room. Yeah, right? like 10 year old Akiva, 13 year old Rob would have done a great job as as like, you know, the, the, vo the voices of reason in the room. I do think they definitely needed a female correspondent. And I don't you know, I don't know how often Carol Leifer slash Leifer is there in the in the room, but there are definitely seasons where there's no real female voice. And I think this really, you know, this episode shows that they could have used one at all times. It's almost like they said, okay, uh, what could Elaine be doing that Jerry and George wouldn't want to go to that she could get Susan to go to like, Oh, what about like some sort of like historical clothing exhibit? Like, Oh, perfect. Yeah. No guy would want to do that. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, while I don't want to do it, I, I do think that's pretty stereotypical. <laughs> Like, to me, that does ring true as, like, the last thing I would ever do. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think it's, like, the last thing most people would want to do. I'm not sure oh, why sure. Elaine is into this. I mean, unless it's, like, maybe she, it's, like, something she had to go to for work, uh, something like that. But no real reason why Susan might want to do this. Like, uh, I feel like even any of the women that, that I know, I can't imagine any of them want to go see, like, uh, what clothes um, Mary Todd Lincoln wore. No, agree. My my wife wouldn't. You couldn't pay her to go there. Okay, all right. So they talk about how Elaine doesn't have any female friends. Kramer comes in. He says, "You're a man's woman. You hate other women, and they hate you." And Elaine doesn't really fight this allegation. Is it true? Yeah, women definitely hate Elaine. They're threatened by her. I guess I, I think they're just threatened her because by her because she has these three male best friends. Does Elaine hate true. other women? I get it. Why other women might hate Elaine individually she doesn't say oh i hate all women 
but I, I think she doesn't start off hating every woman. Like she clearly wants female friends, mm-hmm. but uh, yes, I, once she gets to know every woman, there's a deal breaker. Like she hates every woman. Okay. So Kramer starts this uh, almost unbelievable amount of movie going. If the four characters plus Susan in this movie were movie critics, they would not be seeing as many movies as they're going to see in this episode. Every other line is, what time is that movie? We're going to the movie? And there are so many movies. It is funny where, for whatever reason, they've decided that maybe they just love the movie set or, like, it costs a lot of money and someone was like, you guys better use this five, t- five times a season. Like, they, it's amazing that that's, like, the, if they're not at Monk's, the default is always to go to the movies. Yeah. What is playing in uh, November 19th? I guess we should call movie phone. I mean, but November is not like a huge, you know, maybe after Thanksgiving, maybe we get to some big movies, right? I mean, yeah, the Oscar bait that generally happens after Thanksgiving, <laughs> but sometimes in New York, you get it early. Yeah. Uh, number one at the box office, the weekend this movie came out, Goldeneye. Oh, never saw it. <laughs> what about the N64 video game based on the film? Yeah, you know, it came with N64, so I played it a little bit. Yeah. Sports game, non-sports game, other than Mario I ever owned. Yeah. Uh, 26 million at the box office for GoldenEye. Uh, So Kramer wants to go to the movie, 8.30. So they're going to the movies at 8.30. Even before we get to the movie phone thing, they're already talking about movies in this episode. Uh, Yeah, the whole season, everything is pretty movie-centric. Yeah. By the way, uh, another movie, like my, uh, my kids just this week, Watched one of the top five movies at the uh, November 17th box office. <laughs> which, which one? Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls? No, I wouldn't let them watch it. It, it takes two. They love it. Yeah, what's It Takes Two? I believe that's the uh, Olsen Sisters movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, number four at the box office that weekend. Kirstie Alley and, and uh, the Olsen twins. <laughs> that my, for whatever reason, some of that 90s, like, install, like some of that stuff that my kids like, the Olsen uh, twin stuff, and especially Full House. Like, my... Their favorite show is Full House, which, you know, it hasn't been on the air in 20 years. Not Fuller House? You know, I asked I asked my daughter and she's like, oh, my friend said it's like not for, you know, my seven year old. I think she, they, you know, her friend said it was like too racy. Her parents <laughs> their parents much. Wow. Oh, too racy. Well, I think it was just too, too, you know, focused on the older generation. Yeah. Like there's no equivalent of, you know, the interesting people are not. There's no like, you know, Olsen twins or. Yeah, the the old characters who are now like forty are the people they're focusing on. Eve, I think it's okay. I watched it. I think it's okay. I I say thumbs up. I I say thumbs up. But they're still they're binging Full House, so they're they you know they're not going to watch Fuller House till they get to full. Yeah, you know it would spoil everything. Are they podcasting each episode as they go along? That would be a good idea. I could let I like I wouldn't record it, but I'll let them think they're podcasting. Well, let's keep that on the back burner for me and you once we get to uh, Seinfeld 180. Sure. Once everything you do gets canceled, (laughs) it seems like more you have more shows piling up. But I guess once these all crash and burn, (laughs) yeah, we'll go right into Full House season one episode one, and uh, you know someone else's kid podcasting about Full House. Perfect. All right. So anyway, there's a weird moment where George is like, oh, I wonder if Susan, uh, he picks up the phone and is like, ah, forget it. And then just hangs up and leaves. It's like the most clumsy way ever that they could just sort of like segue into let's just have people start talking about Susan. It's like, oh, I thought of something. Yeah, Susan. Ah, forget it. All right. I'm out of here. <laughs> uh, you think it's a little too sitcommy? It's just bizarre. It's like it's it's so weird that that that's in there. It's just like it's not it's not it's not 
funny. It's just like uh, George is like, oh, I know Susan. Ah, forget it. Okay, I'll see ya. <laughs> like, all there right. are some bad transitions also in this episode. <laughs> it's like, okay, we're done talking about that other thing. All right, here's the next topic, Susan. All right, you guys take it from here. They do a, 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 some of that, and they rush certain conversations. Yeah. Like you'll see people talking on the phone, and they're answering questions when they clearly couldn't have been asked. You know, asked the question yet. Uh, they really they must have been strapped for time this yeah. episode to do a few of these things. So Kramer has a weird line here. He says that boy, there's nothing more pathetic than a grown man who's afraid of a woman. You know, what does that mean? I don't know. I'm, I have many women I'm afraid of. Yeah. Again, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if uh, Mr. David Mandel is married or not. Uh, I don't know. Uh, oh, oh, an executive producer and showrunner of Veep. So maybe he. It sounds like uh, yeah, he took over Veep after what's his name dude left this year. Yeah. All right, so maybe he uh, maybe he knows what he's doing. He's married about. to his work, David Mandel. Okay. All right. So anyway, we get to talking about what's going on with uh, with Susan. Jerry says, hey, why don't you ask Susan to go with you? Elaine's like, oh, I didn't even think of that. And so Elaine leaves, and then Kramer says, hey, that's big trouble. You don't want to just ask Susan for George. And he says that this world is George's sanctuary. His worlds are going to collide. Yeah, I definitely uh, empathize with the world's collide, the words colliding thing. Yeah. Has this happened to you, Keeve? Have you ever had your worlds collide? I mean, I try and stop. Listen, I've, you know, I've never even met you. I try not. I don't even let my own worlds collide with, my, collide with myself. You your know? worlds are very sequestered. Very sequestered. <laughs> uh, David Mandel, uh, he, 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 uh, he got married, according to uh, New York Times. He's got a big write up in there. OK, good for David Mandel. Um, she's a cardiologist, not a, you know, like some, uh, you know, feminist uh, icon that would be very mad about him saying, you know, you can't you can't be afraid of a woman. Yeah. Look at you, David Mandel. I mean, I assume they're still married. You, ha- you have to hope so. So there's no divorces section. The New York Times really should like to get, you know, they have this like long they have the whole wedding section and then people yeah. like Mandel yeah. get like the long write up. You should be committing by getting that, to, you know, to update every five years to see if you're still married or not. Yeah, I would read the divorce section. I feel like that this territory, though, has to have been traveled before. Uh, this feels very hack what we're talking about. Oh, yeah, I, I'd say we're not the first people to talk about that. But um, <laughs> I, I, the divorce section would be way more interesting than the, than the marriage <laughs> section. Certainly, certainly. Although this is way better than uh, what's what's with the pound sign? Why is there a tic-tac-toe board on my phone? Yeah, we're we're not that funny, but we're funnier than Seinfeld. That's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> At least the we're less dated. Uh, yes, we have we have that over Seinfeld. We have knowledge of the future. Yes. All right. So we have the idea the world's colliding, Keeve. I want. When did your worlds collide? Uh, I'm I'm trying to think of like a really good example. I I do have a friend who once said in front of a large group of people, you know, Keeve is my hero. Because I've hung out with him over a hundred times and I've never met his wife. <laughs> and I, I think that's like my best example where. Who are you hanging like out I, with? David Mandel? Uh, you know, Mandel, I feel like I would, I would, you know, want my wife to see that I'm friends with someone who's successful. Yes. Okay. I'm trying to think if my worlds have ever collided. I don't believe so because I don't think my wife has ever been interested in the same thing that I was. Right. You'd have to have some, you'd have to have like some sort of, but it doesn't just have to be with your wife. It could be like 
two groups of friends meeting each other for right. the first time. Like I'd have to have some friend where my wife wanted to spend time with that friend. And I, I just don't ever see that scenario coming up. Yeah, I don't. The, mixing the groups of friends never works out. But, you know, just do what we've done in the last bunch of years. And just like the less friends you have, the less likely that is to happen. You know, you'd be lucky to have one group of friends, let alone two at this point. Actually, the closest that this has gotten where uh, independent Rob interfered with relationship Rob, you know, we talked about on the podcast recently about what it would take for my wife to hear the things that we're talking about on this podcast, where it, even if somebody said her like, here's the timestamp, listen to this exact point in this show, she still probably would not have the interest to do it. Uh, what? does happen though keeve is that uh i've been betrayed by my own soundproofing here where i have a water cooler up here and apparently sometimes my wife comes up and uh gets water and then uh wants to know how come every time i walk past the room where you're doing a podcast i always hear you talking about me well that's no good yes all right um can you get a guy in to like put an alarm downstairs that like triggers every time she walks upstairs (laughs) I, I say I, well, I said because I think the question was why did you say what were you saying about me uh, getting the password to your emails? She wanted to. Oh say. boy, that and was I, not a good conversation for her to hear. No, what what I said was I said I should be so lucky that my wife was interested enough in what I was doing that she would want to hack into my emails. That that I would I would like that. If if that my wife was so infatuated with me that she was concerned, like, oh, what is he doing? Who is he talking to? Is he talking to somebody else? That I would be, I would be happy if I learned that. Uh, so was she annoyed? Oh, typically, yeah. I, I I think maybe it's time to move the water cooler downstairs. Like, there's no benefit to leaving it up there. <laughs> I mean, there was no there was no uh, repercussions from there. I mean, there was no fallout from any of this. I mean, it was sort of like like you know, I let her know that, and she was like, oh. Okay, and and you know, just moved on from there. Uh, all right, fine. So damage averted. I got nervous. Like, what should, what could she have heard? No da- it no, like so what, what damage? What damage? You know, she was like, "What?" Like, uh, I I was hoping for damage. We're like, "I am interested." She was just like, "Oh yeah, I guess I guess I probably wouldn't uh, be interested." I guess I, I, her defense was, "Well, I'm not a crazy person," and I said, "No, you are a crazy person." But I would like you to be crazy about me. You're crazy about things that I don't care about. You're crazy about all these things that I don't want you to think about. I wish that you were crazy obsessed with me. Right. Okay. And and how'd she take that? She's like, what? I'm not crazy. So I, I tried, you know, just trying to tell her that she was crazy. I wouldn't mind it as much if she was like crazy, like obsessive or jealous about me. I feel uh, like that her no, everyone wants now you wanted to be left alone as much as possible. <laughs> we all want what we don't have, I guess. So I really I realized in life, I just kind of want everyone to leave me alone. I'll be all right. <laughs> it would be nice. I, I think that might be nice to, you know, try, try that on for, you know, a day anyway. So Kramer at the movie theater with Jerry and uh, Kramer's getting a new phone number. <laughs> this boy, David Mandel up to his old tricks again. Uh, Jerry wants to know why Kramer says, Oh, chicks, man, too many chicks know my number. Yeah. seems a little weird for Kramer to say. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the problem. Too many women have Kramer's number and he needs to uh, change it all up. All right. So here comes the first appearance of Ramon, the pool guy. 
and uh, he recognizes Jerry from the health club. And uh, apparently Ramon has been fired. Unfortunate circumstances. Too much chlorine in the pool, Keeve. Yeah, that's pretty much the main reason every pool guy gets fired. <laughs> now, later on in the episode, uh, Ramon is rehired by the pool. What changes in the chlorine policy? I think I think it was more the pool guy union really got to the club and said, we're boycotting unless you rehire Ramon. <laughs> okay, bring Ramon back. Uh, they started the uh, the uh, the movement on Twitter. Tic Tac Toe symbol. Bring back Ramon. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yes. Um that may have been the first hashtag. That was the Ramon. first hashtag. Bring back Ramon. <laughs> so Ramon tells Jerry, "Hey, stay out of the deep end." And Kramer wants to know, "Hey, what's what's in the deep end?" Yeah, that, I mean, I guess that's new uh, Jerry's new uh, catchphrase. <laughs> I guess so. Well, Ramon, the pool guy, is uh, just intolerable. Yeah, I, we're going to talk about him a little more as the episode goes on and, and in the, uh, you know, the reader segment. I think there's some reasons why this this uh, oh, storyline yeah. misses so bad. Yeah, on the inside look, they, they get into, I mean, let's just set that up real, real quick. Yeah. Uh, so from the inside look, it sounded like that there was an actor that they originally cast to play the part. Uh, his name was Danny Hawk and Danny Hawk can do like a number of different accents. And I guess in the original draft of the script, Ramon, as demonstrated by his name, is uh, is uh, some sort of, you know, uh, whether he's Mexican or some other Latin American or, uh, you know, wherever he's from, he is from a different heritage than Jerry. And so this guy, Danny Hawk, could do all these different ethnic impressions and they hired him and then I'm not sure what was the issue. Then there was like a falling out where they decided not to go with him. I think he thinks that it's too much of a stereotype, which he must have been playing it much different or the script got changed because even though he loses the job, like there's not really a lot of stereotyping to Ramon unless there's a stereotype of someone being like really boring, which I don't think is what he was saying. Like the, there's nothing really there. I think his words were that he was too like he was a. He was like a crazy person, which he thought was stereotypical. But the Ramon we see isn't really that nutty. And yeah. I don't even know how big of a stereotype that is to begin with. That, that you know, that, yeah. I, I, to me, it's, it's something gets lost in the translation between the old actor and the new actor, because uh, he, you know, they almost like found somebody like an hour before shooting and, you know, clearly missed with it. Well, then in the inside look, David Mandel is actually talking about it. And, and I was actually surprised because on the inside look, they're so complimentary to everybody. And David Mandel actually uh, is uh, is pretty hard. Uh, he hits him pretty hard. Uh, this uh, Danny Hawk and talks about um, how then he because I guess then he went on to do like a bunch of like stand up about that. Yeah, about like a one man show of like some kind. one man show about how he's going to be cast on Seinfeld and then wasn't. And so he like really uh, they they really just like killed him in the inside look. And then they ended up uh, casting this other guy, Carlos J. Cott, who played Ramon. And I guess they sort of like reimagined the part where it wasn't that jerry wasn't friends with him I, I guess that maybe there was some concern if like jerry didn't want to be friends with him because jerry wouldn't be friends with somebody who was mexican it was more that he didn't want to be friends with him because he was a weirdo yeah I, but he's just like more of like uh like a leech he's not even so weird ramon yeah he's, he's annoying like a sad guy who doesn't have any friends who's just like trying to uh you know make a friend with someone who doesn't really want him like there's 
He's not. He doesn't really have like a great character trait to latch onto. Here. He really has nothing. He's clingy without it really being his thing. Where he's not like a, you know, Judd Reinhold's like okay, he's a close talker, and then you see him and he's a close talker. He's just sort of like for whatever reason he feels very connected to Jerry and just follows him. And there's doesn't really have and Jerry just becomes annoyed with him. Yeah. So it's it, missing something. Yeah. It's like we're one character trait away from having a fully formed uh, Ramon. But anyway, let's go back to George and Elaine. George is at his house with Susan. Elaine is on the phone and Elaine wants to talk to Susan. George thinks that's a joke. Yeah. It, to me, it's not. It, it, there's no reason why he should think it's a joke. It's too much of a setup here. Yeah. And so Elaine wants to talk to Susan. Uh, he doesn't think that she wants to do that. He should have been consulted. But Susan very much wants to go to the historical clothing exhibit. Because what does Susan have to do? She, the entire season, she's been sitting in this apartment. Finally, somebody wants to take me somewhere. Yeah, this is the most Susan-heavy episode of the season, for sure. <laughs> so Jerry and George are at the movies. Uh, so they are leaving a, a buffer seat to go uh, in between them. What do you think about the buffer seat? Is that still a thing, Keeve? I I don't think it's a regular thing. If you go to like some daytime showing where the movie theater is half empty, the last time I went to a movie, I believe I actually did have a buffer seat where we put like our snacks and drinks between us. But that's in like an older theater that's pretty tight Mm -hmm. where you're sort of like leaning on each other. Yeah. In a newer theater with like bigger seats, it's totally not necessary. Well, here at this point, now you're getting assigned seating. So, you know, you can't even get a buffer seat unless you go to some sort of a old theater you know you get two tickets and you're gonna get the tickets next to each other yeah but what if nobody what if it's an empty theater and nobody nobody's yeah. sitting between right well then then it's like you might have an assigned seat but it's like a baseball game it's like that's my seat but you could leave an extra seat in between i mean right. nowadays you're lucky if you could get a buffer seat between you and strangers let alone a buffer seat between you and your friend right that's true yeah so you're sitting right right on top of other people. Here comes Ramon. He's at the movie by himself and he wants to jump right in and sits in between Jerry and Kramer. I, I do like when uh, Jerry and Kramer are talking and Jerry's like, okay, pretend to talk to me. And Kramer's like, we are talking. He's like, okay, well, pretend it's interesting. And Kramer goes into like, well, uh, you know, I, I killed a man and uh, the police are still looking for me. Yeah, like act natural. And it's the <laughs> hardest thing to do. Yeah. Uh, he says, uh, so I had to kill him and well, the police are still looking for me. Uh, and Ramon, uh, jumps right in. And then, uh, you know, we end up seeing later on that, uh, Ramon, it has like went on for like a whole night adventure with Jerry. He's telling George about how he followed him back to his apartment. They had to sit with him for coffee for two hours. They, nobody could get rid of Ramon. And we, as the viewers can all relate to this. Yeah, no, I do think there's something relatable, but it's not anything Ramon is doing here. No, we can relate to we can't get rid of Ramon. Oh, I get it. I get it. <laughs> we want to because I'm, I'm sorry to be so hard on Ramon, but it's because I love everything else in this episode that, that yes. the other two yeah, storylines. Then this is such a like a top tier episode. If it, Ramon does anything for us, if you completely cut out Ramon and this is a 17 minute episode, it's a top five episode of Seinfeld. I yeah, love it. it would be a mini <laughs> a mini a mini but a compact but it would be fantastic All who right. gets the other six minutes is it like caroline in the city that would be weird like caroline city's going long guys so seinfeld can't start till nine ten. yeah but it's a good one yeah 
I don't know. Let's let's do another scene of uh, you know independent George of like uh, Susan. Let, let's have Susan come back up to Jerry's apartment and then uh, see what that see what that's like. Yeah, I, I mean Susan isn't funny and we don't like her. Yeah, but George is so great. But but no, but I also think like the scene where we see her be really despicable, where she's just like complaining to them, mm-hmm. is really interesting. Even if it's not like super funny, mm-hmm. like I want to see some more of Susan whining about things. And being a wet blanket. <laughs> okay. All right. That well, would, yeah, that's give us another scene of that. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, George is upset about the thing with Elaine. And so did you know that Elaine called up Susan and Jerry says, yeah, I gave her the idea. And he's like, well, that was a really stupid thing to do. You know what's going to happen now? And of course, now Jerry knows about the world. The world's colliding. Yeah. And, and only for bad. This is some of the best jason alexander george stuff there and that is a high praise because there's so much great stuff but i love all this stuff up and i love the george explaining to jerry about how you didn't know the world's theory everybody knows that i, I they what basically the the uh, director this week says andy ackerman says to jason alexander all right this week we're letting you off your leash and jason alexander basically gets to do whatever he wants Mm-hmm. And he really goes bananas. Yeah, but it's fantastic. So Kramer comes in and George says, uh, he knows about the world's theory. And so <laughs> the worlds are blowing up. Uh, George leaves. Okay. So Kramer is on his portable phone. His phone rings. He keeps getting wrong numbers, Keeve. Uh, to me, I used to get wrong numbers. Yeah. Nobody gets this many wrong numbers. He's getting a lot of wrong numbers. And it turns out that he has a new phone number. And that new phone number is 555-3455. Jerry very quickly looks at the phone and is able to deduce that 555-3455, that's 555-FILK. Yeah, we used to get a wrong number. We were one number off to a restaurant that just, uh, I think, stopped existing named mother kelly's mm-hmm. and uh and we would get like five missed calls a night but yeah. like the idea that framer is getting missed calls from like his friends that means like thousands of people are accidentally dialing yeah five, 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 five. it's pretty amazing i mean it starts off that kramer is getting wrong numbers of people looking for movies but then the fact that it's almost like that it's like the storyline needed to be that kramer's phone number like the line got crossed with 555 film or 777 film because anytime somebody is going to dial that they misdial <laughs> like nobody is actually hitting 555 film yeah, I mean, listen, I have like fat fingers and I, I feel like I, you know, in the old rotary phones, it was very easy to to dial wrong number. And this was in, this will be insane to our, you know, younger car, you know, uh, listeners like Max the Millennial. Like you didn't know what you dialed, right? Mm-hmm. On a touch phone or a rotary, like it didn't say what you dialed on your phone. So you wouldn't know you had the wrong number till like the phone rang. Yeah. Like you, you would be like, hey, did I accidentally hit the four when I was dialing the five also? And you'd never know until until uh, you can hang up the phone and try again. But until the phone rings, you don't know if you got it right or not. Yeah. So it's a big problem for Kramer here in this episode. And he keeps getting all these wrong numbers. Uh, and uh, he will come to embrace it later on. So we see Susan and Elaine on the street. And uh, they're talking about like, wow, that, you know, Susan B. Anthony. 
Uh, can you believe what uh, she was wearing? That uh, could you believe what she wore to that Nineteenth Amendment party? Yeah, they see, really seem to have a good time there. Okay, so I read the notes about nothing on the episode once again this week as I was watching the DVD, and so according to the notes about nothing, there is some deleted dialogue <laughs> uh, between uh, Susan and Elaine, <laughs> where Elaine says that. Susan B. Anthony had quite the rack. That's amazing. Yes. But, but remember, in season seven, I think we've found we have some rogue person writing some of these notes about nothing. Yeah, yeah we don't this know. This could be totally, this could not be canon, by the way. Yeah. And actually, uh, just to be clear, I, I believe that line was deleted from Jerry and Elaine's scene that's coming up in the diner. But as, as we're talking about, like uh, the opinions of Susan B. Anthony. That that was like a runner that was going on in this episode about uh, the, uh, Elaine and Susan commenting on Susan B. Anthony's spectacular bosom. I mean, that would have really up, knocked this episode up to like top 10. <laughs> right. How it got cut. Cut all the pool guy stuff for that. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, not only are we talking about like uh, how the women are written in this episode, but also, I mean, do, do we have to uh, knock down Susan B. Anthony of all people as well? A true American hero. Yeah. And we're all discussing, right. you know, the, it's like, uh, oh man. Yeah. I, 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 do they think, do you think they cut it because it didn't work in the episode or they were worried about it would be offensive? It's offensive. It's offensive that, uh, you know, we're already talking about, you know, that this uh, idea of this is how women talk to each other. And uh, then this is what we go back to. Uh, but in terms of this conversation between Susan and Elaine, Elaine ends up telling Susan, oh, uh, you can tell me anything. I'll put it in the vault. Now, I just feel like that there's no payoff to this. I almost feel no like payoff. it bothered me so much. It's really one of the most frustrating things about this episode. There should be bean spilling on some side of this. It makes no sense that it didn't happen. Yeah. And so, yeah, Susan is like, oh, I know what I wanted to tell you. And it's like, well, you could tell me anything. But there's no payoff to this. It's almost like that we wanted to have Susan repeat one of Elaine's catchphrases and then have it annoy George. If they were just going to do that, they should have had Elaine do a get out to Susan and then have Susan repeat that back to George. Because yeah, yeah Susan doing a get out. That's what I was thinking also. They put in here that Susan is giving Elaine a secret, but there's no payoff to the secret. And you feel like if Susan and Elaine were going to talk about anything, you would think it would be like, so Elaine, can you tell me again about this prostitute thing that George told the rabbi about? Yeah, or totally. Told or the rabbi. Like, where she tells him some intimate detail or like, hey, you know, George is really. Uh, yeah. Did you know uh, about you know, shrinkage? Yeah. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, totally. That that would be really funny. Right. Uh, but just do something. It made no sense that. They they do the vault thing and then don't bring it up again in the episode. Yeah. All right. So Jerry is in the locker room now. Just this this new place that could you imagine Jerry swimming in any public pool? Well, it's not public. I mean, it's not public, but I mean, do you see Jerry? I mean, Jerry doesn't want to go in a hot tub in Kramer's house. Uh, but this pool at the health club, this is fine. Jerry's into this. Seems I mean, like a Jeremy like for me. Yeah, it, it is. But, he, you know, Jerry spends a lot of time in health clubs during the series. Yeah. So it's not totally mind blowing, but I get what you're saying. OK, so here come these guys and say, Jerry, oh, we heard you were hanging out with Ramon. So it's almost like that, that Ramon has made it. He's like the cool guy who hangs out with Jerry. 
it, these guys are interesting, right? These people who are like obsessed with Ramon. Yeah, it is sort of weird that like, I got a dynamic of like this is like the high school. Jerry is like the captain of the football team, and their friend, the other nerd, got to like go and hang out with him, and that's like his new best friend, and they they feel like they're friends with him now too. Right, like maybe they'll be moved up to the big leagues along with him. <laughs> yeah, so they can talk to uh, to Jerry as well. All right, so. Jerry and Elaine are back in Elaine's apartment. And this is something uh, I, I don't know about this either. So uh, Jerry asks Elaine, if, what did you and Susan talk about? And uh, he wants to know, oh, did you go shopping for pretty bows and then strip down to bra and panties and have a tickle fight? It's a bizarre like dialogue here. And also there's a lot of silence. Yeah. And then like Elaine is super annoyed. And then she's like, yeah, that's what you think girls do. But that's not what we think Jerry thinks girls do either. So I, mean, I don't get it. Elaine has had lots of conversations with women over the course of the series. It just seems weird that this is like, uh, did your mother lay those panties out for you type line? Yeah, I don't get it either. Yeah. All right. So this is uh, a little odd. So uh, Elaine <laughs> walks over to the bathroom and uh, Jerry says, you know, George isn't too happy about your new friendship with Susan. And as Elaine closes the door, she says, well, I could really give a sh and the door slams shut. This is sort of a very funny way to do that. Um, yeah, I, I agree. It's, it is, you know, it's, it's like nicely experimenting with the fact that they can't curse. Yeah. All right. So here comes Kramer. He's walking around with his phone. The phone rings. It's somebody who wants to know about a movie. Cupid's Rifle. He says it's at uh, 8.30 in Lincoln Square and uh, is able, he just sits there with the newspaper. Keith, do you remember that he had to look in the newspaper to see when a movie was playing? Yeah, I mean, until relatively recently, you had to do that. Yeah. Uh, there was like a big, I, I'm sure, newspapers, I didn't even think about this. Newspapers don't have movie listings anymore, right? I have no idea. I wouldn't, I don't own a newspaper. Right, you don't own a newspaper. <laughs> but um, I, I, like, it was, the one of the main features of newspapers was like, the you know front page news sports and then middle movie listings yeah it was a city like it was they sold many copies of papers just for the movie listings back in the day i think that it was probably just a convenience added i don't know if anybody was buying the newspaper because it had movie well times. let me ask you but I, I also remember like looking at a paper on the street quickly i didn't want to buy and carry on the paper but i needed to know like what time you know ace ventura was playing or something and it, <laughs> when the, nature calls Probably number two. I was probably too young to go see when nature one, but I, calls five 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 flick. I don't know though. What like, um, I don't know where else you would have gotten. You know, before the internet, you had to drive past the movie theater. Basically, the only way to. But I live like fifteen minutes from a movie. You theater. could call the movie theater, I guess. You could call the movie theater, or you could call. You could actually call five 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 film. It was an actual thing. Yeah, but I think you could call the movie theater too. They would tell you. I never did that. I never called the movie theater once. I didn't think about it until you just mentioned it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Jerry says to Kramer, you're looking up times for movies now. He's like, well, I got the time. Uh, he definitely does have the time, but this isn't a profitable venture for him, right? No, but I think that this is a thing that Kramer does where we've seen Kramer end up just taking a job in an office for no reason and and not being paid. Uh, right, we, but but the film, the five 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 film guy who knocks on his door at the end of the episode implies like you're taking my business away. 
Yeah, I think. How did he get money? You have to pay money to make the call. Like how how was that a profitable enterprise? Well, Kramer may or may not have been selling endorsements uh, that he get, does a commercial for a upcoming Kevin Costner movie <laughs> and Hot ninety seven, I believe. Also, like so, he's doing <laughs> sponsorships. I'm okay, not sure. Okay, so it's ads. He's getting he's, money from ads. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's being paid or if that's what Movie Phone did. I imagine that that's what Movie Phone would do and when you would call up for the movie that they had like some sort of a you know short announcement I'm not sure if they were paid by the movies uh, theaters in some way Mm. but it did sound like there was a commercial it was uh, advertiser sponsored and I'm not sure if Kramer was just trying to build his book uh, so then he could go out and then get advertisements down the road but uh, it definitely seemed like uh, the movie phone guy at the end is actually pissed about this yeah, I, I I don't think he got the actual ads. I think he was copying ads just because that's what Movie Phone did. But I agree with you're probably right. Yes. Okay. Ramon the pool guy is back. He buzzes up and uh, Jerry begs Elaine. Hey, look, this guy is so annoying. We need you to stay here with me. Do not do not leave. She said, don't worry about it. I got you. And so uh, Ramon the pool boy comes and Elaine's like, yeah, it was just leaving. Yeah. Do you think it's because of Ramon? <laughs> you think that if Ramon was like a good looking guy it's so weird that Elaine like almost any other guy that Jerry brings up there she's like oh who's this oh like, I would love to have right, dinner with you saying, like Ramon is so like abhorrently boring Yeah, even Elaine won't date him that's right Elaine who you know is basically going to become like uh, you know a notorious uh, you know uh, uh, let's just you know next next week is the sponge episode yeah so you know Elaine who you know it was previously thought would sleep with anybody yeah well, Ramon does not make the cut he does not make the cut all right so she leaves and then uh Ramon comes up and uh Jerry is trying to get out of hanging out with Ramon and unfortunately that uh he's just like that you can't shake him he's gonna go with Jerry to go run errands he's up for doing the stuff. writers were trying to prove how boring he is like you said by like giving him the boring boring storyline and you're wondering, like, oh, when will we shake Ramon as a viewer, not just Jerry? You think that they wanted us to sympathize with Jerry? Yes. So they wanted us to be bored. I mean, I, I'm stealing your theory. But no, I, think I don't right. think that that's what they wanted. Like, they didn't want us to feel like like on The Walking Dead when they say like, you know, when they misdirect the audience. Like, I, I've heard them say like, yeah, we wanted you to feel like what it felt like for the other characters to not know if this person was dead or alive. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm not buying that. And oh, I don't buy this. Say, like, two seasons later when people don't like something. Yeah. Yeah. We wanted you to know what it was like for them to not know what was going on. So that's why we made this really complicated and distract. Okay. Uh, don't get me just caught up on something else. All right. So George and Susan uh, are back at George's house. And again, another deleted line here where Susan was talking about Susan B. Anthony's ample bosom. According to the notes about nothing. So that's all George. It's all Susan and Elaine's lines. Not it's the fellows aren't talking about. Yes. They are reporting back that Susan B. Anthony must have had uh, some bosom. It was real Um, and it was spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I feel like no one would really complain. They wouldn't have gotten a lot of FCC calls about this. Yeah. (laughs) I I feel like the country has sacred cows, but Susan B. Anthony is not one of them. Yeah. It's just a lot of things in this one episode. Yeah, I, I feel like this, uh, you know, I would have liked to see an alternate universe where it was there. <laughs> okay. If there's not even deleted scenes. Like, we don't see them. They, it must not have made it to, 
you know, when they actually filmed yeah, it. Again, according to the guy who writes the captions on Notes About Nothing, it was in there in an earlier version of the script. So Susan ends up saying to George about uh, that Elaine told her something and uh, she opened up the vault and George gets very upset about this. Uh, yeah, George, he's just so uncomfortable with the idea of them being friends. Yeah. Now, Susan in this scene is drinking a Snapple in an unusual way. Do you think was that the show trying to show that Susan has adopted Elaine's mannerisms as well? I don't believe we will see Susan ever drink a Snapple before or after this. Yeah, I, I was I, I don't know why I was thinking about the Snapple at all. So. And how unusual it would be for someone to be drinking a Snapple in 2016. And she just like is sort of carrying herself like Elaine. Well, we'll track for the rest of Susan's life, i.e. the next 15 episodes. Yes. Uh, we'll have a Snapple tracker. Yes. See if Elaine drinks another Snapple. Just to I mean, really date this to August 2016. Yeah, it's not unlike Paulie and Paul in the Big Brother house. The Elaine and Susan relationship. Meaning that they copy each other? Yes. That basically... That Susan is just adopting Elaine's persona at this point. Friendship. Okay. Um, all right. So we'll have a Snapple tracker. We'll see if uh, Susan drinks another Snapple. Before well, she's over it by the end of the episode. But I think at this yeah. point that there's like some sort of like they're becoming the same person at this point. They're getting closer together. All right. Yeah. They're all going to a movie on Friday. And a great line that uh, George says, uh, this is not good. Worlds are colliding. George is getting upset. <laughs> Love a call back to the Jimmy. Uh, yeah, I, I, anytime George calls himself George, it's gold. Yeah. Uh, Keith, this was a little out of order. Uh, we have the scene with uh, Jerry in the subway that I had skipped over when we talked about George and Susan. Uh, Jerry in the subway with Ramon, and uh, he is, you know, uh, continuing to uh, go on about uh, what's going on with the pool. Uh, Jerry just is trying to get away from Ramon and uh, says, You're a nice guy. I only have three friends I can't handle anymore. Yeah, one of my favorite lines in the episode. Really a classic <laughs> That's line. That's really the best line out of this whole storyline. Yeah, it's not you. I just have three friends. Yeah, it has to be because I clean pools, right? And it has nothing to do with it. Is it does it have something to do with it? I mean, he was just telling a pool cleaning story. It's <laughs> got to be connected that if Jerry respected his job more, I feel like he'd be more apt to, you know, uh, at least give him a chance. But it's it's not only because of the pool cleaning, but at least partially. because of it. If Ramon was not a weird guy, if he was sort of a cool guy who wasn't annoying, who sort of picked up on social cues, could Jerry be friends with the pool cleaning guy who was normal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jerry's not such a jobist. He'll be friends with somebody who were a classist. He'd I be think friends he, with somebody who cool. I don't know. I don't know if I buy it or not. Who is the example I, of that's the a person? Good question. Yeah. Homework for like Amir or Chester this week to reward for Johnny. Like I, I want a, a real breakdown of like Jerry's other friends and what their jobs are. Right. I mean, the, other than comedians. Which right. Is, which is Forget obvious. comedians and like other like business professionals like dentists. Does Jerry have a blue collar friend anywhere in the series that he associates with? Um, yeah, this is a very good question. I feel like there's a few that I'm not thinking of right now. Yeah. I think that would be a good question to uh, look into other than like landlords, superintendents. Like, is there anybody with any sort of, you know, um, manual labor type job? Is Jerry friends with that person at any point? Uh, I mean, he, the doorman is not his friend, right? The doorman, no, does not count. doorman hates Jerry. Uh, Enemy. Putty 
is his friend, but or is he's at least friendly with Putty, but it's a we, you know, we don't it's, can't it's, give him credit. That's his friend. That's really his friend's girlfriend, his friend's boyfriend. Well, well, Putty, you know, the relationship is that he's his mechanic. It's but more that's of a business a, relationship. Yeah, that's a business relationship. He's not the pool guy. Ramon is not Jerry's pool guy, per se. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we will explore that as we go along. All right. So George and Jerry are back to uh, talking, following the uh, independent George uh, is being killed comment uh, or George is getting upset. So they're in Jerry's apartment. And this is really, I mean, Jason Alexander is really a hot fire here. Yeah, he really, you, they really unleashed him again in this scene. And uh, about four different scenes. Steps. I mean, he's so great. He's locked in. He's talking about how, you know, George Costanza, as you know him, will cease to exist. There's relationship George. And there's independent George. That's the George you know. The George you grow up with. Movie George. Coffee shop George. Liar George. Body liar. George. I love how I love how one of his Georges is liar George. <laughs> liar George. Yeah. Uh, body George. Is there a body Keeve? I, I mean, I don't, let me Google body and I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah. I feel like body is like somebody who's like telling like dirty jokes yeah, yeah. body is body is dirty but i i don't know if anybody's used the word body since 1995 <laughs> i feel like you're not very body you know well, i i part of it like with the podcast i do think like this is out there forever yeah and i do think it it it, it pgs me a little bit you know not pg law not pg law i feel like it i feel like you know, I don't know. My kids could listen to this one day after I'm inevitably gone in a few years. And then, yeah. like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> see, I <laughs> I like being body Rob. But again, it's like uh, I like to be body in a Seinfeld sort of way where I like uh, especially when we can uh, talk about something but not say it. Yeah, 100 percent. That's what we try for here. I don't mind getting racy sometimes. I have gotten notes like somebody said, oh, I would listen more. Or I would recommend it to more friends if it was more appropriate. More appropriate. Oh, but man. That's not happening. Yeah, that's um, tough to do. Um, yeah. Well, listen, we didn't write this the Seinfeld material. We could, probably could have done a better job, but we, you know, we didn't write it. Yeah. But even um, like on a non Seinfeld podcast, like I sure. still like, uh, you know, I try to adhere to, I, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways it's funnier to, uh, to not say what you're saying in those ter- in those uh body conversations yeah i mean the, there's definitely talk like i i don't know we we've done a good job of sort of like implying things without saying it mm-hmm. um yeah, you can't please everyone yeah there's definitely people who think that you know it should be racier the podcast and then there's people who listen around their kids and want it to be much more you know uh you know uh disneyfied and and I, you can't please everyone you just have to do what you're comfortable yeah what are you gonna do uh yeah so George goes on to say uh, that independent George is dying. If relationship George walks through the door, he will kill independent George. A George divided against itself cannot stand. Yeah, I, I, you know, George has to really go a long way, like where Jason Alexander as George in this episode has to go a long way to like, because in the final scene, he's going to be so crazy. He's going to be, you know, taken out of a movie theater babbling like a crazy person. So you need, it needs to be believable that he gets there, right? So he does a good job of sort of like, taking this journey and, and making himself crazy a little bit crazier in each scene as the episode goes on. Yeah. And he tells Elaine, you're killing independent George. And uh, Elaine doesn't even know what she's talking about. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and he gets really upset that, that she used the word vault. <laughs> she got that from you. <laughs> uh, and he basically tells Elaine, uh, like, why can't you find your own girl? 
Yeah, of all the fish in the sea, why'd you have to pick his? Yeah. <laughs> Out of uh, all the gin joints in the world, right? Um, yeah. All right. So that Elaine wants to go see a movie later, but she doesn't have a paper. So everybody wants to see movies. Nobody knows what time the movies are at or what's playing or anything. People just know in some generic sense they would like to sit in a movie theater. And so Elaine will call the 555 film number, but instead uh, she gets Kramer, who welcomes her to Movie Phone, brought to you by the New York Times and Hot 97. Boy, Keeve, could we get two more (laughs) different sponsors? Uh, we're we're reaching out to a wide cross section of people with the New York Times and Hot ninety seven. Uh, yeah, Hot ninety seven plays all the rap songs that are fit to print. <laughs> I don't I don't think they're that different in nineteen ninety seven, or it actually in twenty sixteen they're probably much closer together. I feel like Hot ninety seven was probably too cool for the New York Times back uh, nineteen ninety five. <laughs> yeah, now it's now it's gone a little more corporate. All right, so Kramer also does a promo for a new movie starring Kevin Bacon and Susan Sarandon uh, called Mountain High, rated R. Yeah, I um, I do like that he's adding in the promos. It's also weird, like, certain people recognize that it's Kramer and certain people don't. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. Now, what is the plot of Mountain High with Kevin Bacon and Susan Sarandon rated R? Mountain High. I, mean, I feel like it's some it's some love story that happens on top of a mountain. Uh, why is it rated R? And why is a mountain high though? Are yeah. they getting high? Yeah, I don't think that they're getting high. It sounds like there's gunfire, and it's weird. I mean, Kevin oh, Bacon so it's, is it R for violence? That's like I don't know. You, they say you got to get me over that mountain now. Bang, bang, and then the woman is screaming. It, it just it seems like what, what? What is it? Like some sort of a spy movie? Kevin Bacon and Susan Sarandon. I mean. The fact that that's the pairing, it makes it seem like it's some sort of uh, either romantic comedy or it's like it's hard to imagine that's an action film starring Kevin Bacon and Susan Sarandon. Also, how far those two have fallen because <laughs> you could get Kevin Bacon and Susan Sarandon on like as like the parents of the lead on like a CBS sitcom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I saw Susan Sarandon at the uh, Democratic convention last week. She's playing a lot. She owns like a lot of ping pong clubs. Yeah, she's uh, she's big into Bernie. Very anti Hillary. Susan Sarandon. Yeah, big into Bernie. Big into te- table tennis. Those uh, are two things. I feel like Kevin Bacon. I feel like he's pro Hillary. You know, I ha- I don't really follow Kevin Bacon's politics or movie career. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, she's like, Susan Sarandon's pretty renowned in ser- in terms of like mainstream celebrities as one of the more yeah, uh, you know, yeah. liberal and politically active, uh, you know, out there. I did a quick search of uh, Kevin Bacon, Hillary Clinton. Uh, not a lot of things uh, immediately come up except for uh, a couple of uh, pieces, uh, one from Breitbart uh, and uh, another one mm. from. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure very pro uh, at whatever they were saying there. Yeah, basically <laughs> the search results are trying to say that. Hillary Clinton is the Kevin Bacon of Wall Street that uh, that, that you can uh, uh, <laughs> there are not many connections six degrees between her and everyone on Wall Street. OK, <laughs> what an original column to compare someone to Kevin Bacon. <laughs> yeah. All right. So if anybody can <laughs> help us figure out what the premise is of uh, Kevin Bacon and Susan's ranted in the R rated Mountain High. All right. Elaine wants to see Chow Fun. Uh, this is the only mention of Chow Fun in this episode. 
But it does not seem unlike another film that Elaine uh, wants to see in Seinfeld. Uh, Sack Lunch. Chow Fun is the sequel to Sack Lunch, I think. <laughs> is it? When does Sack sure. Lunch come up? I feel like that, that Sack Lunch, uh, I feel like, is that, uh, I feel like that's in the few, what episode is Sack Lunch? We haven't talked about Sack Lunch yet, right? How this stuff blends together, all the, all the fake movies. Um, I'm going to guess we have talked about Sack Lunch. Okay. Let's, let's, let's uh, let me, okay. Uh, sack Lunch, just uh, Sack Lunch, according to uh, WikiSign, uh, is discussed in the episode The English Patient, which yeah, we have not been there. Into. Uh, which is uh, which is coming up? So maybe this is a uh, is is it possible that Sack Lunch is a sequel to Chow Fun? Oh, not bad. Or it's the Chow Fun. Sack Lunch is the English remake of like a Chinese language uh, <laughs> movie. Yeah, uh, Sack Lunch, of course, stars uh, Dabney Coleman. <laughs> All right. So then uh, we end up with uh, Jerry back at the health club, and uh oh, look who's back! It's Ramon. Yeah, you know, you couldn't have anticipated he's back. Uh, you couldn't have anticipated that he's back. Like, you know, what do you, you know, it's like someone gets fired and you, you know, sort of like, uh, uh, you know, dance on, on their grave and then they're back. And it's like, uh, you know, yeah. it's like t- basically your friend tells you he broke up with somebody. Yeah. And you say, not this ever happened to me. You say, oh, man, she was such a you know nightmare. Yeah. And then two weeks later, it's like, oh, we're getting married. Well, that happens to Kramer, I think, in the third season where uh, he breaks up with that woman. And then Jerry and Elaine tell him that she was terrible. And then he gets met back together and he's mad. Um, yes. All right. So back to Jerry and Ramon in the health club. So Jerry, uh, after this odd conversation with Ramon. Uh, Jerry can't get any towels. Uh, and then suddenly here comes Newman. He's running through and he says, hey, Jerry, look at all the towels they gave me. I really hit the jackpot. I, I don't get how Ramon has it out for Jerry now. So he gave all the towels in the health club to Newman. Yeah, Jerry's arch nemesis. I think that's the best way to get a check. Really, there's no other way to get towels. It seems like a very hard. I, I do think that the pool guys influence and, and ability to torture Jerry is pretty limited. Right, right. We see Jerry swimming later and he has the skimmer and he's like hitting Jerry with the skimmer. Uh, Again, uh, lots of problems with the Ramon storyline. Tell me if you think this is a thing in the Seinfeld writer's room. If there's any story that's kind of weak, they say, "Okay, throw Newman in there. I think it's exactly what they do, because you you see him and you're like, wait, is that the only scene we're going to see Newman in? And, you know, and then obviously comes for the climactic. uh, cannonball scene yeah i do think they're like yeah I, we yeah the c story or the a story whatever they call the pool guy story they're, they're nervous about it and, and they say oh yeah way knight could fix everything yeah i'm trying to come up with some sort of a food comparison for or anything that's sort of like not yeah, woman is sriracha sriracha yes it's like oh this is bland oh throw some <laughs> sriracha in there oh wow oh this is a lot better now <laughs> yes he is like cinnamon uh that anything <laughs> unquestionably anything that's good what's in this cinnamon although not necessarily the case with anything with newman newman is great but uh this the pool boy storyline does not work because newman is in it now at this point yeah i agree okay all right so uh back to jerry and elaine coming out of elaine's building and uh they're talking about the pool boy and all of the problems going on now jerry says his towel is always gone Elaine seems to be sympathetic about this, that uh, I thought that she was being sarcastic, but she actually seems like she's like, oh, this is really frustrating. 
Yeah, it's weird, right? I, that scene is also a little strange where, like, Elaine, like, I would be sleeping if somebody said this to me, you know, this story that, uh, oh, you have problems with the pool guy at your health club? Like, that seems like a, you know, a zero with world problem. But I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Elaine is interested. Yeah. More interested than I would be. <laughs> Again, they they just need to get this information out there. They don't have time for Elaine to have an aside and talk about how, you know, being sarcastic. So she ends up telling Jerry she's meeting Susan for lunch at the coffee shop, the 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 coffee shop in Manhattan. And so that's where Elaine and Susan have to meet. That also happens to be where Jerry and George are meeting for lunch. Uh, yeah, not the biggest of coincidences, because obviously, uh, you know, everyone here. Frequent monks. It is amazing they don't run into each other more at monks accidentally. You know, do we ever get? Maybe this might be a question for Chester. Where is Elaine's apartment? Does Elaine live like very close in proximity to Jerry? Or I feel like at other times in the series we talk about that she lives all the way far away. Does she live in the East Side? Yeah, this is a this is a Chester. Chester is good with the New York City geography because it would I make think sense. She, I think her new apartment is relatively close to Jerry. Yeah, if the coffee shop, like uh, sort of like Elaine's apartment, Monk's and Jerry's apartment, were all sort of like close in proximity, that might sort of like make more sense. But I don't know if we ever nail down how close in proximity Elaine's apartment is to like to meet Susan. Uh yeah. I, let, let's let's leave this to Chester. It's a good question. Okay. All right. So now we get to the coffee shop and. Kramer is sitting with Susan in the coffee shop. Hold on a second. Wasn't the entire plot of season four that Susan hates Kramer? Yeah, it's insane. They, the writers literally forgot that. <laughs> They're sitting there and Susan is like, hey, Elaine, Jerry, come sit with me and Kramer. Look who I ran into. And he's like, hey, everybody is so happy. Now, we know Elaine, uh, so Susan goes through this midlife crisis since the last time we saw her, right? Yeah. She loses her job, becomes a lesbian, becomes straight again, gets engaged to the first guy who asks. I think that, like, she's lost her mind a little bit. Yeah. Where it's been, like, eternal sunshine. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, like, the fact that she hates Kramer, she's forgotten. That's the only way canonically this makes sense. I mean, do we need a reset on all the things that Kramer has done to Susan? I... <laughs> I think she just like the new, you know what? It's like, just like George tries to be the new George in season seven. Yeah. Susan is trying to be this new Susan is forgetting every, you know, burn down the cabin. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I, I, I mean, did Kramer just walk in and they caught up? Is it a testament to Kramer's likability that even Susan can't stay mad at him? But, uh, whatever, you know, all is forgiven. Uh, you know, remember the cabin. Uh, no, we, we will, we will not remember the cabin. No, the writers definitely forgot the cabin. <laughs> Anyway, so Jerry is very like he doesn't want to sit with them. And Kramer's like, come on, get over here. What's the matter with you? And Jerry, under his breath, is like, this is going to be ugly. Not thinking about how, boy, Susan really hates Kramer. Thinking about that when George shows up, he's not going to be happy. And uh, it's a weird line when uh, Susan says, Jerry, what did you say? He says, I said, boy, am I ugly? (laughs) And no one calls him on that. What a sitcom moment. (laughs) Yeah. And so... George walks in and Susan's like, hey, Georgie boy. And uh, again, this is a very funny moment that Jason Alexander really like just uh, takes his time with this. He counts the people at the table. One, two, three, four. And he like holds Jerry's face. And then he just like turns. Oh, (laughs) just walks out. Walks out. Great scene. Next scene, you see him eating at Reggie's. Great callback. Okay. 
Well, now, interesting about this Reggie scene, uh, again, according to the notes about nothing, they did not shoot this again. This is the end of the big salad, uh, I believe, when George eats like that's that moment that happens like in the, yeah. the tag of the episode. Oh, so it, th- this is the exact scene we've already it's seen the exact footage. Oh, amazing. And what I, they did, I thought it was weird. But that, that's amazing. Well, they dressed him in the same clothes that he wore in that footage. And then oh, so just, they reverse engineered it to be the same scene. <laughs> yeah, because I thought it's like, boy, this is unusual that George has like this big red jacket on in this episode. I didn't I thought that the jacket did seem weird. I said, I guess it's mid-November. But so yeah, the, the same exact shot that they use from Reggie. So they didn't rebuild the Reggie set just for that's this. That's insane. Wow. Great. This notes about nothing guy. Is making up a lot of interesting stuff or is really on his game this episode. <laughs> All right. So we go back to the health club. We see Jerry being harassed with the skimmer. And now here comes Newman just running from a mile away. And as Jerry's arguing with Ramon over the skimmer, uh, Newman yells, Ali, Ali, oxen free and dives into the pool. This whole scene looks like it was shot. I don't know what, like you could barely hear Jerry. You know, whoever the director really did not do a great job with the scene, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, you're you're going from shooting on a soundstage to shooting at a YMCA where they ended up shooting this scene. So um, uh, you can understand why it has some issues here. Uh, Newman, I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to do uh, a cannonball at the YMCA like Newman is doing. Why Mm -hmm. Newman is cannonballing into the pool with Jerry again. Have we forgotten that Jerry and and Newman hate each other as well? Uh, Was he trying to splash Jerry? I I, I don't know. I think maybe the idea is that he splashes anybody and he doesn't know, like he doesn't care who's there. Yeah. And would Jerry be a member of a health club that Newman was a member of? It's a good question. I feel like, uh, you know, it's no big loss that he gets banned. Although Newman gets banned too, so they may end up at the second, at the same health club together after this. Okay. So following this cannonball, Eve, now uh, Ramon needs to be resuscitated. He's apparently either been concussed or he's taken on too much water. And Jerry and Newman debate over who will give Ramon the mouth to mouth. And so uh, what, what's the issue here? That he is a man? Is, that, is it the issue that they don't like Ramon? Is it yeah, that- I think it's everything, but I, I think it's a little bit homophobic, but I, I think it's mostly they don't want to do it to a guy. They don't want to do it to anybody. They don't even like him. Yeah, well, I think that it's, you know, a lot that they don't want to give it to a guy. I don't think. Yeah, that's- yeah, that's the main part. Of right. The like if he was choking, I don't think they'd be arguing over. Well, I'm not giving no. him the Heimlich. No, no, no. Like, I, no I agree. Yeah. Uh, for Jerry, I think it's also that well, I don't even like Ramon. Right. Plus, also Jerry like as a Jeremy, but again, he kisses women. So yeah, but for me, I mean, I mean, the are Jerry and Newman CPR certified? I mean, I think that they're making it seem like anybody can just like give anybody a CPR. Like, do you know how to give somebody CPR? No, no idea. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's not like okay, I'll give you mouth to mouth. Like, I know what I'm doing. I'm just gonna be like like blowing air into somebody's face. Um, yeah, I feel like you'd probably end up causing more harm than good. I mean, and neither one of them seems alarmed about this. Like, okay, you don't want to give CPR, like go find somebody. Uh, like, it just seemed that they, they really are, are, I think this might be too far. 
uh, in terms of like what the, what the characters are doing. I, I, I didn't find this to be believable that I, I, are they worried they're going to get in trouble and get banned from the health club? I mean, that if they murdered this guy, I think that they're going to get in more trouble. Yeah, I, I mean, it's almost like a Newman. I don't actually have no problem believing that Newman's evil enough to let him die. Mm-hmm. But I, it's not great that, that, that Jerry's willing to do it also. Yeah, um, you would think that there would be somebody on hand that would be might be able to help the situation. Does anybody have is there a lifeguard here? Is there anybody? Uh, no, three people at the club. Just yeah. Jerry Newman. <laughs> yeah, and it's their responsibility to fix him. OK, uh, back at George's apartment, Elaine and Susan are having a little bit of a sex in the city moment, drinking some wine. They're going to go see the channel. They leave a note for George. Uh Elaine needs to know how Susan, like, I like that Elaine is writing the note. She asked Susan, uh, should I write love? Susan's like, ah, I, I guess. Okay. And she's writing the note in Susan's voice also, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Like it's from Susan. Okay. Uh, that doesn't play. I mean, I feel like that that's sort of like a, a weird thing, but it doesn't really have any. Yeah, that could have been cut. Um, no, I mean, I, I guess it's fine because yeah, I guess you need it to get George to the theater. It's just weird. Like if your wife was hanging out with another woman, and then there was a note that got left for you that wasn't in your wife's handwriting. You know, that wouldn't be weird. Right. That is weird. But Elaine maybe has great handwriting. I feel like Elaine's handwriting is okay. really good. All right. So back at the movie theater, we're standing outside and uh, Elaine and Susan are sort of horrified about this mouth to mouth thing. Boy, if Susan is horrified by uh, this story from the core four, uh, wait until she hears uh, <laughs> some of the stuff that's to come. And their yes. reactions to these uh, grave situations. Yeah, I think when Satan tells her about it in hell, she's going to be really upset. Yeah. Elaine says, uh, how could you possibly show your face there again? And Jerry says, oh, no, they uh, revoked my membership. Newman, too. We were not allowed anywhere near there. No. Which is funny. Uh, Elaine orders the tickets. She asks for uh, three for the channel, two adults and one child. Looking at Jerry. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, re- I really think everything here is memorable outside of the pool guy stuff. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, everything else is uh, really, really strong. So George reads the note. He needs to go to see the channel. And uh, we get certainly the most memorable of these movie phone scenes where George is on the phone with Kramer being the movie phone guy. Yeah. The, why don't you don't just uh, why don't you just tell me the name of the movie that you selected? I think that was like one of my WAV files also, WAV files <laughs> yeah, on AOL. It's a WAV when like, file. When like someone IMs me or yeah. something, that it would be like, what be, which, but then if someone sends like the 10 IMs in a row, you just hear it over and over and like freezes your computer back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, I definitely heard that line many thousands of times. The one thing for me that doesn't work about this is Kramer, from what we've seen in the episode, is easily taking 30 calls like this a day. Uh, mm-hmm. He gets on, he says, uh, if you know the name of the movie you'd like to see, press one. Okay. And then George is like typing in the keys and he says, uh, using your touchtone keypad, please enter the first three letters of the movie title now. And George enters in the title and Kramer is like, uh, you've like, is Kramer guessing a movie? For yeah. Every- Kramer's guessing at the beginning. He's talking to the people and I guess he realizes he's got to go more automated to match five, five, five film. <laughs> I do think he should put an option like, if you're not getting what you want, just press zero. So then the people could talk to him and he can have an excuse why they're reaching him. Why can't he just answer the phone and say, hi, this is uh, this is uh, Cosmo from movie. Right, no phone. one's going to no one's going to complain that they got to 
person this time. They could say it's a new thing we're trying. We're trying actual human interaction. Well, what's really crazy is that Kramer is like finally gets, why don't you just tell me the name of the movie you've selected? Because in the 1995 of it all, we're like, ha, ha, ha. Like, could you imagine that there's some automated system where you just say what you want to hear? And now that's like the default for any sort of customer service. Uh, yeah, I, I, I Kramer's strategy leaves a lot to be desired in the film industry here. <laughs> right. Uh, so the channel, uh, and then he goes back into, uh, to find the theater nearest you, enter your five-digit zip code. Uh, again, I'm just, like, if this was the first time Kramer's doing this, okay, uh, but, like, like he, it's weird that he is, uh, you know, telling George to push the buttons on the phone. Yeah, it's strange. Okay. Uh, so he tells him channel at nine thirty, but it's also playing at uh, nine o'clock as well. So uh, that will be a problem for George. Uh, we get to the movie theater and uh, we end up seeing George uh, yelling in the movie theater again. This happens uh, quite a bit, I guess, on Seinfeld. Uh, one of them is in a dark movie theater looking for the other ones. He can't find them. Uh, shades of uh, what is it? The movie is it the movie theater? When is that the name of the episode with Rochelle? Rochelle? Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the Gary, movie. Gary. Uh, and Larry David uh, clearly heard in this scene. You hear Larry pretty, uh, you know, the, the, again, the, the, the more you know Larry's voice when you watch Seinfeld, the more uh, he shows up. Every episode. Yeah. Uh, we hear some dialogue from uh, the channel. Uh, they're talking about the, the channel runs 32 miles. Uh, but the footage shown on the screen, again, according to Notes About Nothing, is from uh, the American president. Um, that which was in one of the movies in theater that week, no? Yes, uh, which was also produced by Castle Rock, and that was a movie that they were able to get the rights to. Okay, yeah, I saw, um, I saw American President. Yeah, well, you could see sort of like the like seal of like the like Oval Office, like clearly, like on like I don't know why that's in the channel, <laughs> uh, right. but uh, that's what's on in the screen. Okay, so we cut to Jerry and Elaine talking, and they're like, "Oh wait, why did he kill that guy?" Uh, I thought he was with them. And then, uh, you know, they're talking about, no, that's a different guy. And Susan is getting annoyed about why are you talking? Now, hold on. Like, is Jerry doing a bit from his stand up here in live action? Like, hasn't that been a bit of Seinfeld uh, stand up that's been on the show? Yeah, it feels like he's rehashing his old material here, right? Yeah, but it's not like ironically, like he's doing like best stuff. No, I mean, again, we don't know what they remembered here. Yeah, like the writers, it's a whole new writing staff, basically, from like the first few seasons. So he may be uh, repeating himself and they don't even realize. Susan is annoyed. She doesn't like all the talking in the movie theater. And so George ends up, you know, he's standing in front of the screen and uh, he's yelling to everybody. And uh, they're saying, uh, come on, come out here. And people, uh, you know, yell at him and say, like, hey, get out of here, you. Uh, you know, there's a nine o'clock movie. And I do like that he's saying, I had to go to Reggie's, Jerry. I had to go to Reggie's. <laughs> uh, uh, meanwhile, then uh, everybody else gets out of the movie. And uh, Susan does not want to go and hang out with Jerry and Elaine after the fact because they talked through the whole movie. Well, and yeah, and just the idea of them, you know, going to monks like you guys are pathetic. You have no lives don't you have something better to do. Yeah. She says, all you guys do is sit around the coffee shop talking, sit around Jerry's apartment talking. Frankly, I don't know how you stand it. I'll see you. She really seems detestable in this scene, honestly. Yeah. You're really down on Susan for crapping on the gang. 
listen, what what was coming to Susan in about 17 episodes, she has coming. Yeah. It's just the thing about Susan is it's not like that she's out there with all these hobbies and I mean I mean she's sitting no, in her George's apartment by herself. Yeah. She's in no position to judge anybody. No, they she should be jealous. They have friends. They're <laughs> letting you be in their clique. No one's ever made it into the core four before and you scoff at them. Yeah. All right, and then we end up with uh, George being dragged out of the movie. Uh, they're killing independent George. They're all so, in on it. Worlds are colliding. I, th- I actually, I think my favorite George is him standing in front of the theater. Yeah, it's not like the audio. The audio is not great. Like there's a loud movie in the background. You don't totally hear what he's saying, but like he's so great there. But yeah, here like his final descent into madness here is great. Also, I mean. Yeah. Uh, we have a tag at the end of the episode where the movie phone guy ends up uh, saying, like, uh, Kramer, let me in. It's your worst nightmare. I know you're in there, Cosmo Kramer. You're in big trouble. You're stealing my business. Uh, but, like, please select the number of seconds you want before I break this door down. Uh, so this is the actual voice of the movie phone yeah. guy, mm-hmm. but not the actual guy playing him. Yeah, I don't think you need him knocking. Yeah. So. Was movie phone a local thing in New York or was it? I don't it, think so. Did, I, I, maybe it was big cities only because you would have needed to program it for every part of the country. So maybe I, I, I have a feeling it like started in New York and expanded to like L.A. and Chicago. And mm-hmm. So what did they um, just have him like record? Is it like when they have a, uh, you know, before you get mad in where they just he goes in the. Booth yeah, all you need is the, all you need is the movies, the times. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, it's automated. All you need is them to record like a few hundred bits of information. Okay. So there you go. That is the pool boy. The pool guy. Yes. Okay. Uh, fun stuff all the way around. Uh, let's uh, grade this out real quick. So, I think the grades are pretty easy. Okay. Go for it. I think it's, I think George gets an obvious A. Yes. I think Kramer gets an A. Sure. Now, Elaine doesn't have a storyline, right? Like, she's it has a storyline. Well, that she's going to be friends with Susan, Susan I yeah. But, like, it's not a fully formed storyline. Like, she, I don't know if she gets as much time as the other, but I'll, I'll give her, I'll give her an A also. Okay. Um, and then, then Jerry, I give a D minus. D minus, yeah. The pool boy stuff is so bad. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know what they were this going been for a there. Contender, this episode. Yeah. Okay. So, Keith, where do you have it in your ranking? You know, it's hard. It's hard to really place the pool guy in like because sometimes I'll say the highest highs negate uh, something we don't like. But to me, you know, you're calling it the pool guy and we don't like the pool guy. Um, Like shining a light on the worst part of the episode. Yeah, you're to me. I love I do love this episode, but it can't make my top 50 without, uh, you know, without really improving some of the weird scenes and like poorly shot scenes even from this episode. So I have it at 63. 63. But if someone said, hey, it should be much higher. I don't really, I wouldn't put up much of a fight. Yeah, I feel like that's low, but uh, that's, that's just me. All right, let's get into the mailbag here. Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. Uh, a lot of stuff to uh, to get through, so let's uh, jump right in. Uh, Johnny DeSavera says, this episode won Best Episodic Comedy at the WGA Awards in 1996. Yeah, not a lot of, not a lot of awards in the final three seasons of Seinfeld. Yeah. All right, uh, so this is uh, what Johnny wants to know. It's obvious that Elaine is carrying on with Susan to spite George in Monks. Why didn't Jerry give up his seat to George? He could tell how angry he was getting. Is it obvious to you that Elaine was carrying on with Susan to spite George? 
Yeah, I included this question because I was curious what you thought, because Johnny has an interesting read like that. It's all for spite to annoy George. I totally didn't get that. I want to know if you got that. And I no, I thought Elaine really liked Susan. I don't think that she was trying yeah, to I annoy think it's George. By the end, she hates her. Like, it's crazy that they go from like, I really like her to she said one bad thing about us that we're kind of pathetic. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy that she died. Yeah. But uh, but no, I, I he's, and it's not the correct read there. He He's not carrying on just despite her. OK, uh, here's a question from Lindsay who wants to know. Where the hell are the lifeguards at this pool? Why are other swimmers expected to perform CPR? Great point, Lindsay. Yeah, yeah. There's three of them there. This is a very low-class pool and health club that Jerry should be happy he got kicked out of. Now, are there lifeguards at health club pools? Gotta be. Gotta if be. If you have a pool, you're, you need lifeguards because you're, you're liable if someone drowns or whatever. I'm trying to think of if I've been to uh, the pool at a health club. So, like, sometimes they're small. Sometimes like yeah, if it's, there may be different rules if it's closer to like a jacuzzi, like a larger hot tub jacuzzi I, area. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's rules for like literally how big the pool has to be in order to legally need a lifeguard or something like that. But sometimes these pools just have like, you know, three or four lanes for laps. I don't know if they have lifeguards. Interesting. Uh, yeah. We, if we have a pool guy correspondent right in for next week, I'd be interested to or know. Or even health club correspondent. That might yeah, be yeah. more broad. Um, even if someone, listen, neither of us work out. Even if someone goes to a health club, they could probably help us out here. Yes. Okay. What does Liz have to say? Liz says, uh, was George planning to never let Susan, the woman he's about to marry, ever interact with his friends? George makes a good point about wanting his face to be independent, George, but he's about to get married. Independence is for single people I am. Oh, well, you're way off on that, Liz. Liz, I'd like to know if Liz is married because independent. Listen, uh, independence is only for single people. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's a hot take, honestly. Um, I, I agree. Like, it's a totally unrealistic plan for for him to keep Susan apart from the core four forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you could have some independence. Though. Yeah. She knows the core four. It's not like yeah. that she's a total unknown. I she's mean, trying to keep them at arm's length. They could be casual friends, but not like super friends. Yeah. And also, it seems like that you would think that Susan would not want to be around the core four. That would be the biggest advantage. It's almost like that Susan forgot she doesn't like George's friends. Right. Uh, Liz also wants to know, she says, uh, I don't think mouth to mouth is done anymore. I think you get trained in how to do chest compressions. Maybe Rob will know isn't his wife a nurse. Well, I know that my wife uh, has stopped doing mouth to mouth for some time. So hold on, hold on. I'm just going to pay myself the hundred dollars. I bet when I included that question <laughs> that you would make that joke. OK, <laughs> I owe myself a hundred. I would I would say the odds of you not slamming that that alley-oop layup home were zero percent. I, I, I knew you'd come through. <laughs> Jimmy can jump. <laughs> Jimmy I really, still gonna got start, it. I'm going to start making fake questions like that was a real question. I included it because I know I have no opinions on mouth to mouth, but I knew that you would make that joke. And <laughs> like, I mean, you delivered uh, perfectly. I, I, I'm i going to maybe start including fake questions to lay up, questions, you know, things like that. <laughs> so just to test you and make sure that you're still on your A game. But congratulations. Okay. What does Hunter have to say? All right. Hunter says, uh, is the moral of this episode, don't make any new friends. They'll just make you miserable. I mean, I think that's one of the core principles of Seinfeld. Oh, totally. Yeah. I love that he says, I already have three friends. But yeah, it's so hard to make new friends when you're past 30. Yeah. I mean, going back to, is it from good news, bad news? Is it where Jerry is talking about how, like, you make friends? Like, hey, I like cherry soda. You like cherry soda. 
And then that's it. And then as you are an adult, you don't get new friends. Yeah, I, I it's early I think, Seinfeld. Yeah, I, I think that you really, you know, the 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 earlier you made a friend, the more legitimate they are. So even if you make like a super close friend you see every day when you're 35, it's not the same as like some random kid who lived next door to you when you were eight. Okay. All right. Uh, long question from Roger. Yeah. Why don't you read this one? I'm okay. tired. All right. Roger wants to know early in the episode. George and Jerry discuss who would win in a fight. And Elaine says it would be George because he fights dirty. Now, my instinct would be that Jerry would win because he has a longer reach than George, which we all know is an essential factor in hand-to-hand combat. However, I'm willing to concede that George would beat Jerry based on his willingness to do groin stuff. This got me thinking about how the other matchups between the core four would go. Oh, boy. I think it goes without saying that Kramer would beat George and Jerry, not only because of the previous discussed reach advantage, but also because Kramer has clearly been involved with some shady stuff in the past and probably has been in more than a few fights. However, I do think that Kramer would lose to Elaine because his fondness for her would make him hold back a little bit. Similarly, Elaine loses to Jerry because she still harbors feelings for him. Elaine probably also defeats George just based on her various ruthless tendencies. I disagree. I believe that Kramer would beat Elaine. We see Kramer has no problem doing karate to little kids. I yeah, think. but they're stronger than him, the little kids. Yeah, I guess so. He's not that strong, Kramer. That's the problem. <laughs> That's the problem. I don't think it's his. I don't think it's his fear of hurting anybody. Yeah, but, but that's I, a good question. I do like how he analyzes every scenario here. Okay. So to summarize, George loses to everyone but Jerry. Jerry loses to everyone but Elaine. Kramer beats everyone but Elaine. And Elaine beats everyone but Jerry. A little bit rock, paper, scissors. (laughs) A little bit. Is that what we should do from now on? Not a bad idea. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Uh, What about Caleb? Okay. Caleb says, how much would your wives have to pay you to get you to uh, go to a museum or a show? About famous old clothes. But that implies that our wives wanted to go to this right. so badly. Like, okay, so they're stuck. Like, work is taking them. They have no choice yeah. but to go. I don't know why, like, a hospital would take your wife. Take them to, out of this. It, it, so just take the wives well, out of this. Well, I was going to say, like, I don't know why a nothing would take my wife. I was just going to make fun of it. Oh, uh, come on. But, um. Uh, <laughs> all right. So some of the Institute for Old Clothes uh, is going to pay. You and I to go uh-huh. to this, sure. okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason that we podcast about the puffy shirt, they want to. They, they have a puffy shirt there that they want us to, <laughs> and we have to go there and look at the exhibit. All right, what what, what does it cost to get you? And let's assume that we're going to do this remote via satellite. There's okay. one that that it's uh, five miles from your house. Okay. Okay. Uh, now my first question is: There a uh, Susan B. Anthony part of the exhibit? <laughs> Yes, yes. Okay. SBA is there. If SBA is there, then I'm lowering my price. No, well, actually, now that if we're going to do a podcast there, now I'm now I'm kind of into it. So let's say, oh, yeah, if we're doing a podcast, then we're we're there for free. Yeah. There's no podcast. That that really, like, this is just being tortured and going to a museum. This is only bad stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't do it for a hundred bucks, but I'd probably do it. Or how long do we have to stay at the museum? Can we yeah. just go check it out and leave? Is this like a work day? Because I'm like now I'm now I'm didn't do any work. Like it's not like right. yeah. somebody's well, going like, to do my job funny. while I'm That's at the old clothes oh. exhibit. All right, it's a Sunday. Sunday, but not a football Sunday because those I, I would charge. You know, I have like a triple time bonus. <laughs> yeah, like an August Sunday. You got nothing planned. 
I don't know. Uh, the, you go with your kids to the park. This is instead of that. Is, like, is my wife coming? Does she is, like, like, do I get any sort of like goodwill out of this? Money if your wife has to come. Uh, well, no, I, I mean, if, if it was like that, my wife wanted me to go there and then I could say like, hey, remember that day I went to the old clothes thing that you wanted me to go to? Yeah, you could really use it as ammunition. Yeah. So I don't know if it was just for, for I mean, I feel like, uh, uh, you know, 150 at least. I feel like $150. I mean, if we're going to kill a whole day. Oh, a whole day. Yeah. I mean, am I just showing up for five minutes? A thousand bucks. A thousand. All right. All right. Well, uh, what I'm about for, I'm not doing it for three figs. No way. <laughs> All right. Uh, how about Dan, the benefactor, Dan the benefactor Ramon uses the pool guy specific sign off. Stay out of the deep end. <laughs> I'm saying a very live, a uh, very short lived goodbye to Jerry and Kramer outside the movie theater. If each of you were to adopt a job specific sign off to use in everyday life, what would it be? Oh, that's good. Yeah. I'm trying now, to you think. do have probably job specific sign off. Do I? Well, you have sign offs you use in your job. Yeah. Um, not about podcasting, you say. Yeah, I don't know necessarily what my job specific like. Uh, until next time, like hit pause. You know, I right, what's mine? Like, I work for a startup. I don't even like know what my title is. What would I say? Hmm. I don't know if you have a job specific, but maybe you could have some sort of like, uh, like uh, wheels up, heels up. All right. Uh, <laughs> I like including the wheels. <laughs> I don't yeah. know about. <laughs> out. yeah how about like uh i don't mean to keep you hanging <laughs> Hash, all right that's the hashtag for the episode keep you hanging <laughs> keep you hanging until next time here. yeah all right first off the comment on the story that wheels wienaker told last week about our blind date for the mets playoff game right we talked about that last week amir and i got set up to go to a mets cardinals playoff game the nlcs 2006 it should just be noted that uh, Amir says he absolutely only went because the Mets had it just been a random dinner. There's no chance I would have shown up. That being said, I think we both had a wonderful evening. You got to love sports. I agree. I was I even said to Amir today, if it was a regular season game, I think we both back out. It was a playoff game. I believe it was game one of the NLCS. There's no way we, you know, the Mets hadn't been in the playoffs in six years. No way that we back out. Um, but yeah, playoffs, uh, sports really is the great equalizer between uh, friends. Uh, Amir says in Kramer's fake, fake conversation with Jerry, he says, I had to kill him and the, and the police are still looking for me. As someone who was suspected and arrested for being a serial killer, wouldn't you think Kramer would be more careful with saying these kind of things? That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then lastly, he says, uh, Jerry's reluctance to save Ramon's life is one of the worst things Jerry's ever done and should have, uh, main, should have made Ramon a perfect witness in the finale. Amir, whose side are you on? <laughs> That's right. Don't snitch. Uh, I did some no, research. No, I mean, don't talk about bringing Ramon back. Oh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Tic-tac-toe sign, bring back Ramon. Uh, what are you, Ramon's agent? Like, uh, nobody else was asking for yeah, more Amir's Ramon. like those guys that work at the health club. Like uh, I'm like, sure once in a while you get, like, someone will tweet at you. Uh, like, bring, like, whoever the worst or most boring survivor is. Like, can you please bring them back on the podcast? And then they probably at them. Like, oh, the of course. Of, of course they do. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> can, uh, listen, Rob, if you don't behave, I'm going to encourage more people to do that. Yes. <laughs> I won't say who those those people could be, but like if, if like enough people beg you, you also have to have them on. Well, who's that like, person for the Seinfeld podcast? <laughs> uh, like which which Seinfeld character? No, I'd be on this podcast <laughs> oh, to come on the podcast. Yeah, the guest. Yeah, uh, I, I, <laughs> yeah when is uh, a Chester ninety nine going to be back on the podcast? That's right. All right. So he says. Uh, 
uh, Ramon would have been a perfect witness for the finale. I did some research and it turns out Ramon is actually in a deleted scene in the finale testifying about this incident. Yeah, I think in terms of gravity of what he did, he needs to be in the finale. But in terms of boringness and lack of memorability, there's no way he could have been in the finale. Yeah, stop it. Don't even, don't even talk about bringing uh, anybody Ramon. else or are we done? Uh, <laughs> no, one more. One more. Uh, the most requested guest in the history of the podcast. Uh, Zakiva bills him the human version of finishing fourth place in the Olympics. Alexander Chester uh, wants to know uh, what kind of gym fires somebody for putting too much chlorine in the pool, but didn't when he started harassing a member. I mean, uh, they have no lifeguard. I feel like they don't have a lot of security on hand either. Yeah. I mean, do you know how much chlorine he put in the pool? I mean, if he put like a year's worth of chlorine in the pool, then uh, that's a, right. certainly I feel a fireball. Like there's more to the story. That's his version of the story, right? Everyone has an idea for why they got fired, but it's not. Oh, they're not going to tell you like you know, I stole money from the office, right? They're going to tell you their side of the story. That's yeah, so, like right, a breakup have, story. Yeah, he may have like poured chlorine down somebody's throat poured it on someone's head when they were in the pool like there's more to this that ramon's not letting us know right like i might break up have a breakup story like oh yeah she just needed her space and then you know you talk to my wife and then she'll give you like the real this is the real story of all the issues right exactly okay uh according to his call with flick or filk slash kramer george goes to look for susan jerry and elaine at the paragon oh boy at 84th and broadway yet immediately in the following scene we see him at a United Artists Theater in the theater district in Midtown, right next to the Roundabout Theater. I like how Rob started reading that and, <laughs> and immediately regretted reading that. <laughs> I should have skipped. I know we're going down a bad path when we yeah, start talking right. about a, a, any street name. Yeah, Chester Manhattan Geography is the most requested segment on this episode. <laughs> George's worlds colliding is, of course, very famous and funny, but the actual idea is bonkers. It's completely abnormal to keep your significant other cut off from your three best friends in the world. To quote Chris Rock, if you're dating a guy and you haven't met his friends, you are not his girlfriend. Ooh. Yeah. Then, apparently, my wife is not my wife. <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, this is one of uh, Chester's hottest takes ever. Uh, how do you think Chris Rock feels about uh, Chester quoting him? Um... I mean, I think the old Chris Rock was pretty cool. I think he's mellowed in his old age. He would be okay with Chester quoting him. Okay. Also, Chester adds, it's odd that Susan isn't more offended and perturbed by George's attempt to prevent her from interacting with his friends. This is a week after he refuses to share his ATM pin with her. Susan, you only have yourself to blame for your untimely demise. There were so many signs. Blaming the woman. Pretty typical. <laughs> Blaming her for her murder. <laughs> right, right. Uh, the uh, tic-tac-toe symbol for this episode is, uh, or hashtag is uh, tic-tac-toe symbol, uh, keep you hanging. Uh, yes. Also, tic-tac-toe symbol, bring back Ramon. <laughs> if someone really liked Ramon, then that's one of the hottest takes <laughs> of all. Let us know. Yeah. All right. Uh, good stuff. Uh, Akiva also yeah. uh, this past week uh, with our own Haley Strong did a uh, what what did you guys do a uh, preview of what 32 different Olympic yeah we events? ranked the, we ranked the um, all 32 Olympic events although we ended up last second deciding that if we started with all the bad ones people would tune out so we did it we put them in a hat yeah we did it randomly but uh, yeah we, we we in two hours and two and a half hours we uh, we we touched on all 32 Olympic uh, disciplines we got a lot covered there's a lot to do we, you could do 10 hours on the Olympics and not and forget 100 things but we got a lot covered. People uh, hopefully will check that out and like it. 
Although uh, the later you listen to this, the more dated it will be. Right. But you could hear our wrong takes. Um, I also, Rob, I have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm mostly retired from sports media, unless you count the 32 Fans podcast. Um, but I did this week, and hopefully, if this is not out by the time uh, you're listening to this, something's gone very, very wrong. Or Scott St. Pierre is truly a magician who posted this <laughs> 10 seconds after we gave it to him. Um, I, I wrote uh, what hopefully will be, and I guess uh, we'll, we'll see, um, a very long article for Deadspin about the Olympics that will uh, be coming out Thursday afternoon. There's a side piece coming out later Thursday or Friday uh, with my prediction for the winner of every single, all 306 Olympic events. So hopefully you check that out. Uh, and I'm also plugging the podcast um, at the end of the article. So if anybody, and let's see if this happens, Rob, if there's one person who read my article, liked it or hated it, but got to the end, saw my, uh, you know, saw my bio that mentioned this podcast, listened to this podcast, uh, let me know. I'd be very curious if, if we get one listener from that article. Okay. Wow. This would be huge to be able to track the conversions. Sure. Yeah. They, they were really, uh, and listen, and they would also have to get to the end. Like maybe they heard it and hated it and never got to the end also. But uh, if we got someone. Certainly a likely got scenario. Article, got to the end of the article and the end of this two hour podcast. Uh, and, um, you know, and you, and you just uh, let me know you're out there at Keith 26. I'd be very curious if we get some uh, new listeners. Keith, I know you're on top of everything Olympics. Have you seen any reports on in the swimming events in Rio if we know what the chlorine levels are? That would be funny if Ramon, the pool guy, was in charge of yeah. <laughs> that would be, you know, uh, Katie Ledecky decided to stop swimming mid-race because there was too much chlorine in the pool. One- <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Keith, great job. Enjoy the Olympic Games. Uh, of course, uh, thanks so much to Scott St. Pierre, who edits the podcast version, the tireless Scott St. Pierre. Also, thanks to uh, Mike Moore, who is uh, back shooting hot fire recaps after every one of these Seinfeld recaps on postshowrecaps.com. Follow Akiva on Twitter. He is at Keeve26. I'm at Rob Sister. You know, Akiva, what's coming up next week? Next week, we have the sponge. Oh, uh, good. And see who's sponge worthy. And we got Kramer and the AIDS rib and a lot of classic uh, scenes next week. All right. Fun stuff to come. Looking forward to reading your comments on postshowrecaps.com. And of course, we always appreciate your gold medal rankings in the iTunes store. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. Uh, We truly do appreciate that. It helps more and more people find the show. Thanks so much. Take care, everybody. Bye. 